Hello and welcome to RPO Extra, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra podcast. RPO Extra is a podcast series with news of the orchestra, interviews with the team and soloist performers, as well as music from one of the most accomplished orchestras in the world. And from this month onwards, I'm delighted to say that we have a little more time together. In this edition, we have news about a new recording which not only recognises a grand anniversary for the RPO, but also incorporates a new collaboration from across the pond. With such large forces, um, you have to be perhaps more majestic in the tempo, but I think when you have such large forces, it demands a majestic performance. That's Jonathan Griffith talking about a special version of Handel's Messiah, which you'll be hearing more about shortly. Daniel Cibano has made quite a name for himself as a soloist at the piano, but as he will explain, he doesn't see himself as the technicians that others seem to see him as. In fact, he says he's quite the opposite. Well, actually, this image of me being technical, it's, it's a, a mystery for me, because I kind of think that I am the antichrist of technical playing. Of course, I'm a bit lucky because somehow my fingers are quite elastic, so I don't need to, to like force them, to wake them up and like warm them like an engine. They're always eager and thirsty to play the piano. And in what is a pivotal year for the RPO, the chair of the orchestra, Ben Cunningham, explains how the orchestra is run from within its ranks. All of the London orchestras um, outside of the BBC and the, um, the Covent Garden orchestras are all um, self-owned orchestras. They're all owned by the players. Um, so every member of the orchestra is a shareholder in the orchestra. So on that level, um, everybody is involved. Ben Cunningham. There's lots to come, so let's get started. Now, when you listen to this, I'm pretty sure you know what's coming. Handel's Great Messiah is perhaps one of the best-known choral works of all time, but did you know that there's more than one version of it? In 1959, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and Chorus created the first ever recording of Sir Eugene Goosen's version of Handel's original work, under the baton of Sir Thomas Beecham. Sixty years later, and in July of last year, Dr Jonathan Griffith brought the orchestra and a chorus of his own singers together with members of the National Youth Choir of Great Britain to do exactly the same thing. Recorded at London's legendary Abbey Road Studios, the album Messiah Refreshed is on the point of being released. I recently spoke to Jonathan at his home in the United States, from where he told me a lot more about the recording, including the tonal differences between the two scores. What Goosens has done is that people think large romantic orchestra must be bombastic, and that is actually to the contrary. What he has done is to take the color 
of a romantic orchestra to underlie the text. So there are moments where um, I know that my Redeemer liveth. He actually uses the woodwind section because of its warmth to uh, accompany the soloist um, in the soprano recitative when um, uh, before the uh, announcement of the birth where she's talking about there were shepherds in the field abiding by their sheep. There's that arpeggiation that takes place in the strings, but what Goosens does is that he puts the strings in a tremolo shimmering and uses the harp for the articulation of the arpeggio, and it just magically transforms it. The music is all the same. It's just how he has used the instruments to color the the text. In contemporary music circles, there's there's quite a vogue for cover versions where uh, an individual artist will take on an, an original song from somebody else and give it their own spin. You've already explained that the Goosen's version of uh, Handel's Messiah is a rescoring. Uh, the purists would say you should have left it alone. What do you? What's your answer to them? Well, you know, even Handel himself uh, during his lifetime. Really, no two performances were the same. He would take whatever forces he had available to him and would incorporate them into the music. Uh, he would sometimes rescore the uh, soloist because he did not have uh, a bass. He had a contralto, so he would score it for that, or he would, um, you know, maybe just have the soprano do everything instead of the mezzo and soprano. Um, uh, he shall feed us, uh, you know, at the conclusion of part one. So it's fascinating how purist, I have nothing against, and I love to hear the original handle, and yet we're just speculating when Tempe and such are incorporated because we don't have a recording of the period, and must, most of it is by conjecture. And so, therefore, I approached it to with such large forces um, you have to be perhaps more majestic in the tempo so um, if I had smaller forces I might be different in, in some of those tempi in the larger choruses but I think when you have such large forces it demands a majestic performance. So how many musicians were you uh, controlling and conducting and directing at any one time then Jonathan? Close to 200. There were uh, about 12530 singers and then the orchestra I believe was close to 70. That takes quite a lot of coordinating. What were they like to all work with in one go? Did they did they follow the the maestro's baton? <laughs> Well, the orchestra is phenomenal. I truly enjoyed working with the musicians of the RPO. And through the process, they truly, uh, I sensed, and, and they demonstrated this, that they took a personal interest in the work because of the nature of the history of the piece, number one, and, and there's a legacy to that. And they genuinely were, were very interested. It wasn't just musicians playing through the music. They were truly very much committed to and invested in the overall outcome and I think that was just a, a joy uh, working with those musicians. So there's always a challenge when you have large forces but fortunately 
we we did end up with some excellent takes on all of the major movements um, and with the soloists as well. I, I'm quite pleased with the outcome of the recording. This was first recorded in, in 1959 and, 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 amazingly enough, by the same orchestra that you've just been working with, the, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Thomas Beecham, Sir Thomas Beecham, was uh, the, the original uh, conducted. Did, did you feel um, as though you were standing in his shoes when you did the contemporary recording? Yes, to some degree. Uh, what we, we made it a point to be as true to the... Uh, Sir Eugene Goosen's orchestration, meaning we actually played from the manuscript and I conducted from the manuscript. Um, there were a couple of movements uh, in the recording that Beecham uh, recorded in which he used either maybe Mozart's arrangement or um, a Prout. Just for the expediency of time, uh, he was pressured to get this recording together and so therefore, um, and there are some movements that just are left out. Uh, that was Goosen's choice at the time. There were traditionally movements in parts two and three that were not performed for the sake of time. And so therefore, uh, Sir Thomas Beecham included those movements as an appendix, but they are not anything uh, Goosen's related. What about live performance and what about future collaborations with the RPO, Jonathan? What's still in the works for you? You know, we haven't discussed uh, anything, but I would love to work with the orchestra again. And there certainly are uh, works out there that demand to have some uh, kind of a, uh, either re-recording or a, even an initial recording. And I would go to the RPO first thing. Dr. Jonathan Griffith, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, John. That's Dr. Jonathan Griffith. Messiah Refreshed is being released on the Signum Classics label. Next on RPO Extra, a profile of a young pianist making a considerable name for himself. Still in his 20s and with a love of jazz as well as classical music, rising Romanian star Daniel Cibanu recently made his debut with the RPO here in the UK. Although rated for his technical style and ability by others, as you'll hear, Daniel begged to differ when we spoke ahead of that debut performance. To begin with, though, he told me about how he was influenced to take up a musical path at an early age by his grandfather. Well, I was kind of um, given no chance, let's say, because my grandfather was absolute maniac with, with music, especially in the times where it was very difficult in Romania to acquire instruments basically you just had to build your own little machines that would make certain noises and put them together and call them instruments and even though it sounds like a fantasy this is what my grandfather did and uh, then all of a sudden um, my holidays were basically turning pages for him into his infinite compositions that would I was feeling like I'm next to a black hole being absorbed into this world of his and 
I kept asking him, but what about some, I don't know, let me play with some balls. And like, no, 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 look, it's, look what beautiful contrapunctus and what beautiful harmony. And I said, okay, if, if he pays so much attention, it means it must be fun. And um, yes, then um, in the kindergarten, somehow I ended up being a conductor of my class dressed very strangely in like a grasshopper. I was with a little baton doing silly moves. And um, somebody from the final recital, let's say, of the class, uh, important figure from the city was there and went straight to my parents and said, this guy seems very convincing. We didn't understand what he was doing there, but with, was with a lot of passion. So why don't you give him the artistic way? So my parents looked at him with like two huge eyes. They said, but my, our grandfather, he's already on, on this path of, of uh, torturing our little boy with music. You want us to put him in an institution of art? And he said, yes. So they did. And um, actually afterwards, I won a singing competition, which was very uh, surprising. And then my parents thought naturally that I should do singing. But as a little uh, child, my vocal strings were not ready to, to be tortured like this. So they said, just choose whatever instrument. And first, initially, I've been given a violin. But as I, gave, I, I said in the interview, when I touched it, it felt like I'm doing some sort of exorcism rituals with the sounds. And I said, please, let's keep this instrument away. And uh, then there was a piano there. And I said, let me try this. It looks very nice. So I started to play a few notes. Of course, with piano, it's like the most easy instrument to make sense as a beginner. Then it's, it's, like, um, it's like one of these beautiful plants that have this great thing in the middle. And then you see, wow, it's such beautiful. And then you put your finger and it bites you later. So this is what happened with me and the piano in the end. Like I touched it, it was incredible. I could already imagine characters and stories. And then I was, uh, it was too late to, <laughs> to stop. You are renowned for your technique. You are a technical player as well as a passionate player. Is it a trade-off for you between passion and technique, or do they all roll naturally into one for you? Well, actually, this image of me being technical, it's, it's a, a mystery for me, because I kind of think that I am the antichrist of technical playing, because basically... I've never did scales. I mean, of course, I, I mean, I never did them like, I don't know, one hour every day. When I, when I went to my teacher, she would force me to do it. I was doing it there and then never touch this, uh, this, I don't know, Gaza zone, you know. And um, of course, I'm a bit lucky because somehow my fingers are quite elastic, so I don't need to, to like force them, to wake them up and like warm them like an engine they're always eager and thirsty to play the piano. So my exercises are basically just take old pieces and play them just to get a little bit into the, into the zone of beautiful music and not numb myself with these scales. Is it your performance that an audience will hear? And does your performance vary from hall to hall and piano to piano? Well, my sort of moral values for this career is that we should filter everything you know, with our personality, our life experience, otherwise it becomes sort of plastic 
and artificial. Of course, we have all the indications of the composers, the notes, the dynamics, the sort of uh, texts that he wrote. The, we know the period that the composer won, was when he wrote it, the implications, the cultural zone, the, maybe a war, maybe a huge divorce with a beautiful lover or stuff like this. And of course, this goes into my, into my persona and I try to, to encapture this character of the composer when he wrote the piece. But then, of course, afterwards, the music speaks to me in, in my own unique way somehow. Like, I understand it in my way and I find it, um, I, I don't know, I find it unorthodox to come on stage and just pretend that I'm academic or I, I don't even know what's happening actually on stage. It's just, it's the moment where I know I have found my inner truth about the piece at this moment in my life, in this hall with this piano, this orchestra, this conductor and this audience. And so uh, it's kind of like a safety measure, you know, to just release yourself on stage and go with the flow. That's Daniel Chibanu, who captivated his audience here in the UK last month with his performance of Rachmaninoff's variations on a theme of Paganini. Keep an eye out at rpo.co.uk for future Chibanu collaborations. Next on RPO Extra, we continue our look inside one of Great Britain's finest orchestras. Many people assume that running an orchestra involves a lot of managerial and administrative effort by people behind the scenes. Now, whilst that's undoubtedly true, in the case of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, those people are more often than not also to be found on stage, joining in with the actual music making. A case in point is the RPO's chair and double bass player, Ben Cunningham. At the end of a recent orchestral rehearsal, and accompanied by the sounds of the resident piano tuner going through the painstaking process of retuning between rehearsal and performance that night, Ben told me about a very important year coming up for the RPO and how the orchestra runs itself. Well, um, all of the London orchestras um, outside of the BBC and the, um, the Covent Garden orchestras are all um, self-owned orchestras. They're all owned by the players. Um, so every member of the orchestra is a shareholder in the orchestra. So on that level, um, everybody is involved. Um, the uh, board of directors of the orchestra is made up of a majority of players um, and those players are elected at the AGM once a year. So currently we have seven player members of the orchestra who sit on the board of directors. We also have five non-executive directors um, who sit on as well. So ho who holds sway? So who, ho so who holds sway in that case if there's a debate about some direction of the orchestra? Is it musicians that tend to gang up together or, <laughs> or, or is it non-musicians? Well, I mean, historically, that's why there has always been a a majority of players on the board so that the musicians um, can always have that majority and can have that final say if, if necessary. Thankfully, we have a great team of non-executive directors and we have a wonderful management team and, and we're on the same page most of the time. So. It's an important year for the RPO, which means not only for players but for management as well. You reach the 75th milestone. Then you have to start thinking about the future. Is that a big topic for within the ranks of the orchestra at the moment? 
It's it's always a big topic. You 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 want to be part of a, a an artistic organisation that has a has a clear idea of what it is and where it's going. Um, I think the arrival of Vasily Petrenko as our um, music director designate later this year and and our music director the following year is a really exciting point for the orchestra. It's a real kind of turning of a page and a new chapter. And Vasily is a such an exciting musician and um, so so so. There is there is a feeling that we are on the the cusp of a, a new era in the orchestra. Um, There's a bit more evidence of that as well because you've just been confirmed with a residency at the Royal Albert Hall, and you've also um, got as well as that the small matter of a move of premises away from where you are at the moment. We do um, the the Albert Hall. The, the orchestra has always been uh, connected to the Albert Hall, so to cement that relationship is a really exciting thing for the orchestra and then the move to Wembley Park is is a hugely exciting opportunity for the orchestra to move into an area of London which um, is different to your kind of the, the kind of areas that you might associate a symphony orchestra with um, it allows us space to um, embed ourselves further in a community that we've worked with um, over many years in, in with the Brent um, borough uh, we've been doing education projects there for, for a number of years so so to have a base there and to embed ourselves further and to uh, create links with the local community is a, is a really exciting um, thing that we're, we're looking forward to doing. What is the relationship between you and your double bass? There wasn't so long ago that there was a comedian who used to go around and he had a double bass and he could play it as well. The, the double bass became almost part of a double act <laughs> rather than a comedian and his instrument. The double basses are very much the engine room of the orchestra and yet you're on record of saying you'd rather play the viola because they get better lines you don't mean that do you <laughs> uh, uh, sometimes i love my bass i i mean i i have my bass commissioned so it was it was made for me I, any musician uh, they're inseparable from their instrument their, their instrument is their voice and i think you know I, I i may i i may like the viola lines every now and again but i think i'm i'm kind of preternaturally a bass player i think i think you you find your niche within your instrument and and it suits you and you suit it and uh, I think bass playing is uh, where I'm meant to be you say you uh, aren't as young as you used to be and that there are younger ones who are still going around on public transport with their instruments how old were you when you started on the double bass because the, you know size size does matter uh, I th- I, well I, I had a, a brief career as a as a as a cellist in, in my very young years um, and I got to play rock around the clock in the school orchestra and uh, I thought that if I if I got that bass from the back of the peripatetic cupboard I would be able to do that all the time um, so I was about 10 11 10, 10 when I made that move I think um, so yeah 10 can you still play rock around the clock uh, I could give it a go I, I it, sadly it didn't um, the, 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 my career path didn't lead to the kind of uh, uh, rockabilly life that I kind of imagined as a 10 year old but uh, you know we still do as, as, as you well know at the RPO we do such a wide variety of things stuff like that pops off every now and again yeah but hang on a minute there's the white t-shirt there's the blue jeans there's the quiff in the haircut and nobody wears snakeskin trainers do they? <laughs> you found me out <laughs> you are chairman of the RPO an awful lot has happened to the RPO in the recent past. There's a lot still in the pipeline in its 75th year. Where next, and, and how long will you be chairman for? 
Uh, well, we'll have to see. It's a it's a it's a pretty all-consuming job, and I think there's there's probably a, a lifespan to it. And I also think that you know, in a self-governed orchestra, everybody should get involved. Everybody should get on the board. Everybody who has an interest should should take the chance and be chairman. It's a really exciting, fun job to do. But as I say, it's it's all-consuming and it can be tiring. So I think there's probably there's probably a shelf life to it. Um, I think uh, we're looking forward to getting getting on the ground running with Vasily uh, we can't wait for him to arrive we can't wait to start the um, Albert Hall series we can't wait to, to get into Wembley Park and start work there um, there's so much coming and, and we just want to get at it now you know that's Ben Cunningham style personified we began this episode of RPO Extra the RPO podcast with Jonathan Griffith looking at the RPO's 60th anniversary recording of Handel's Messiah Rescored by Goosens. Originally, we had planned to close this edition of RPO Extra with news of a forthcoming concert that might have been of interest, particularly if you're a fan of choral performances. On Sunday the 19th of April, there was going to be an entire afternoon of choral classics featuring the voices of the City of London Choir, the Brighton Festival Chorus and star tenor Andres Preznov with a programme that would have included all these. To name but four, that's the Sanctus from Verdi's Requiem, the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah, Zadok the Priest from the same composer, and Orf's Carmida Burana, O Fortuna. Sadly, because of the widespread closure of theatres and performance venues recently, you'll perhaps not be surprised to know that that concert won't now be taking place. But all is not quite lost. That's because each of the pieces you've just heard are included on the RPO's excellent album, Here Come the Choral Classics, Volume 9. So even if you can't join the orchestra and singers to see them perform live in front of you, you can still experience them in recorded form. Close your eyes and it'll be just as though you were there. Now beyond that concert cancellation, here's a little RPO innovation. In order to stay in touch with you, our audience, for however long the current situation lasts, the RPO is creating a variety of digital content and delivering it on a range of different platforms. 
so you'll soon be able to partake of RPO musician recordings, quizzes, live question and answer sessions, Spotify playlists, and of course this, RPO Extra, the RPO podcast. So if you have a little time on your hands, why not try the RPO's website, rpo.co.uk, or have a look at its Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook accounts and search for the latest material using the hashtag RPO at home. For all the latest information about the work of the orchestra, both on and off stage, just go to the website, www.rpo.co.uk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>